Hi, uh, my name is Fortune Mojapelo. I am a co-founder and CEO of Bushfold Minerals Limited, uh, the vertically integrated primary vanadium uh, company uh, listed on AIM under the ticker of BMN. Bushfold Minerals um, is a vertically integrated producer of vanadium, which means we combine uh, upstream uh, large one of the largest primary vanadium resource base of tier one grades, uh, grading between 1.6 and 2% VTO5, a resource base 550 million tons. Um, we combine that resource base um, with uh, two primary processing plants, in fact, two of only four uh, operating primary processing plants in the world uh, to supply a significant portion of the uh, vanadium market uh, today. Um, in fact, last year we supplied about three and a half percent of the global market. We are set to uh, supply about four percent this year, and uh, by the end of this year, we expect to be producing on a steady state about five percent of the global market, uh, with a broad range of vanadium products uh, that are used in various sectors in the steel industry, in the aerospace industry, as well as in the emerging in the chemicals industry and in the emerging energy storage space. Uh, downstream, uh, we've got a platform, Bushfold Energy, which is active across the entire vanadium redox flow battery chain, which positions the company very well also to capture value in what is a very, very exciting and growing our segment for vanadium. Fortune, good to see you again. Um, we, I think we saw you last August um, with the with regards to the company, and, we, and you joined a panel uh, in December talking more broadly about the uh, vanadium uh, space. So uh, it's good to have you back. And um, I want to I want to talk about one of the things you mentioned last, though, which was the um, carve out of the vanadium energy business. Is that because it's non-core, it's a distraction, or there's better value to be captured by spinning it out? Uh, it's not because it's non-core. Um, I think that when we, when the vertical integration um, is, is an important part of our story and of our strategy. When we set up Bushfield Energy back in about 2015, um, at, the, at the time we were incubating uh, this platform, we knew and we've always believed that primary producers need to be actively involved within the VRFP value chain to really unlock the potential that is there. Um, and over the last four years, um, between 28, uh, I call it between 2017 and 2021, um, we have made tremendous progress um, across all the key areas that we set out to do. Firstly, the production of electrolyte, we have an electrolyte production facility that we're currently constructing in South Africa in the Eastern Cape province, uh, which is due to be completed in the first half of next year. Um, we developed the electrolyte rental product um, and we have a couple of contracts that we already have written uh, and we continue to see uh, good interest for this. And we think that it's gonna be an important catalyst for VRFB deployments. Um, thirdly, thirdly um, we have we, we reached financial close just recently um, on our mini grid uh, project at Vametco, which combines 3.5 megawatts of PV solar and 4 megawatt hours of VRFPs. That project funded independently from sort of funded from third party equity capital partners and commercial debt providers, which underscores the business case for such a solution and now really well positioned to scale up across 
um, our broader, uh, bigger energy needs in the group. I mean, that mini grid is currently set to supply only 10% of Ametco's needs. So if I look at a global um, group level, you're looking at, you know, about 5% of our energy requirements. So there's a huge opportunity to scale up that project. And then, of course, uh, finally, our shareholding in Cellcube, uh, the VRFB manufacturing company that is in um, Austria. So that's, we've developed that platform. We've spent collectively about $70 million together with our partners in that period. Uh, Bushfold's share of that spending is just over about $20 million. I'm telling you all this background to make the point that we have, I think, created significant critical mass uh, for the Bushford Energy Platform. And of course, going forward, we think that um, keeping Bushford Energy and Bushford Minerals together in this current form will, will result in greater capital allocation tensions. Um, and so the covert, in our view, will allow Bushford Energy to attract capital that is focused on energy. It will allow it to attract investors who are focused on the energy uh, story. And we think that it is going to be a catalyst to uh, allow it to really scale up um, and capture the substantial opportunities that are in front of it. The other reason we decided to do this is to ensure that um, you know, we have a clearer uh, value attribution associated with Bushford Energy. What I mean by that is that when you read analyst reports about Bushford Minerals, you'll see that the focus is as it should be on our upstream mining and processing um, uh, activities. And because we are set up as a mining company in the capital market sector, um, and the analysts that are covering us are largely focused on mining, um, you know, that part of our story is well understood from evaluation perspective. The energy part is not as understood in our view. And we think that again, carving it out and ensuring that you get the right analysts when I mean right analysts, I mean energy focused analysts who can write on the story, which will provide, in our view, a much clearer uh, sense of how to value the, um, uh, the, the opportunity associated with Bushford Energy. But that's, that's ex exactly the point, right? So, and rather crudely and rather broadly, I'm going to say your operational business is, is an, all about engineering, it's about the efficiencies of uh, running, operating that business. The VRFB element, the electrolyte business, the energy business, it's yeah. more science at the moment because I think the problem is you've been spending money to build that up. You've been investing into the future, but the future is not clear, not just with you, but with lots of companies talking about VRFB as being the solution here for energy storage, but with no sense of the size and scale of the market, no certainty of the size and scale of the market, no certainty over the technologies that are going to be applied and the winners of that technology. So what are you seeing in terms of where you insert yourself into that ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, look, I think the stationary storage system is one that is still developing. And I think our data that is still fairly nascent, right? But there are a number of critical developments that we should celebrate. I think we're starting to see a lot of policymakers, particularly talk about stationary energy storage as a critical part of today's grid. We're starting to see uh, utilities um, increasingly talk about uh, stationary energy storage. We're starting to see deployments of large uh, stationary energy storage systems and projects also being announced. You know, I'm talking 400 megawatt hours, for example, that was just switched on recently in China, or 60 megawatt hours in 
uh, in Japan back in 2015, which was followed up by a 51 megawatt hour system um, earlier this year. So, so the momentum is definitely there. And I think, you know, and by the way, also in terms of analysts writing on it, uh, which is important because it starts to provide a basis to get a sense of how big is this opportunity. I'll give you an example. Uh, Guidehouse Research recently came out with a report that forecast the VRFB market climbing to 15 gigawatt hours and over $5 billion per annum by 2030. Um, so once you start to see those, right, as an investor, um, you can start to sort of get a sense of what is this addressable opportunity that Bushfold Energy would be playing in. Um, of course, um, you know, that's one part of it. The other part of it is you need to understand what the business model looks like what are the appropriate valuation models that apply to energy plays they're not the same as the valuation models that apply to you know your mining and your processing companies you know this covert in our view is precisely to ensure that um you know those distinctions um are reflected uh, appropriately in in the bushfield story Right, so how, but how, how flexible is the model that you're employing? So not, not, not the valuation model, but in terms of you've, you're, you've got a primary resource, you've, you know, you've, you've talked about producing electrolytes, because um, I think to nascent, other nascent industries, sometimes first mover advantage is fantastic because you, you get ahead of the crowd and you establish a, a foothold on the beach, as it were, and you capture a big chunk of the market. Sometimes, if you get the technology side of things wrong, you're overtaken by a newer and better solution and you kind of, you're, you're left sort of, you know, staring at their back. So how flexible is your model in, in, in that sense? Matt, it's not, it's not always even a better technology solution, right? I mean, I think we have seen in history that it's not always the best technology technically that wins the day in the market. It takes a whole lot of other things. Uh, first mover advantage being one of them, but there's also importantly, uh, you know, just uh, the way you capture the, the opportunity space, uh, the way you develop the ecosystem, um, you know, those are all very important. Um, I think what, what I can say about stationary storage is that we, we can safely say that it's going to be a space occupied by multiple technologies. There is no one technology that will be able to just meet the requirements. Um, you know, today, just to give you a perspective, the electric vehicle, uh, electric vehicles penetration of the car market is sitting at about five percent, right? And and when you look at some of the targets that have been set by governments in terms of, you know, phasing out internal combustion engines, uh, to meet that, the amount of 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 lithium ion battery manufacturing capacity that is just going to be required is, is massive. And there's a big question mark whether, in fact, it is even achievable, um, whether the resources to support that will be developed sufficiently. And that's before we talk about stationary storage. Now, stationary storage by 2040 is forecast to be bigger than mobility applications, right? So it's clear to us that there will be multiple technologies that play in that space. And what is important is that we make sure that VRFBs have got the ecosystem to play, by which I'm talking the resource base, uh, mining, processing capacity, and in terms of the VRFB value chain itself, electrolyte production capacity. We think that the rental product is going to be an important catalyst as well. And um, it's quite key that the VRFB manufacturing companies 
themselves gear up their manufacturing capacity to respond. Um, we're already seeing the pressure on, uh, on VRFB OEMs in terms of, you know, having the right kind of capacity to respond to these large stationary storage tenders that are starting to come out. So, you know, it's, it's exciting in that, in that respect. And again, I go back to why we're carving out Bushford Energy. We think that that kind of focus, razor sharp focus within a carved out Bushford Energy will play a very important role to ensure that VRFBs, um, you know, have their day in the sun. It's very exciting if you get all the pieces in the right order heading towards the same point, right? So um, just, just help me in terms of, like, we get, I think we kind of get broadly get the use cases, but I'm, I'm sort of interested, how do you and your partners that you, you decided to work with set yourself up to, again, insert yourself into that system, but more specifically get the sales, which clearly it, it equates to revenue to allow the business yeah. to be successful. So where are you guys heading and who are the people gonna help you get there? Yeah, so I think what you're talking to when you talk about sales um, and deployments, that's what that's why we've got a focus effort within Bushfield Energy, uh, we call deployments. Um, energy markets are very regulated. They're highly structural markets, which means that, you know, if you're going to really unlock them, it's important that you identify the right structural levers. You know, in the electric vehicle space, for example, you know, subsidies played a very, very big role in terms of just giving the EV uh, uh, industry uh, the impetus and momentum it needed, right? Um, and uh, when we're talking about, um, you know, stationary storage, um, it's, it's things like um, utilities, when they understand what stationary storage can do to improve efficiency of the grid, and they start to build that into their future plans. Um, all governments, and I'm gonna give South Africa as a good example, where we have a renewable energy IPP program to procure more renewable energy. And the targets that have been set there are fairly bold. Um, and we know that renewable energy increasingly, to give it the flexibility that it needs, you need to pair it with storage. And also to ensure that you know, as you increase your share of renewable energy as a share of your generation capacity, you don't destabilize the grid, you're gonna to need to bring in storage with that as well. Um, our integrated resource plan, which essentially looks at our energy requirements or energy mix uh, targets going forward uh, as a government um, or as a country, um, has got an allocation today of about 2000 megawatts of battery energy storage. Our utilities in South Africa, ESCOM, is in the process of procuring 1,440 megawatt hours of stationary energy storage solutions with expectations that there will be more required. Um, just recently, again, the government re removed altogether the uh, thresholds for self-generation and is actually moving towards a model to encourage uh, individual energy users to generate power um, and to allow them to sell that power to third parties. And again, in that space, you're gonna see renewable energy and storage feature in a very, very big way. I'm highlighting these things to just emphasize the point that these energy markets, they are very, very structured, but when those strategic levers are there, you've got a market that opens up at massive, massive scale. What's important for us is to make sure that when that happens, we have been able to demonstrate that vanadium flow batteries are a commercially viable solution that can play in that space 
and that they also have the manufacturing capacity to respond at the kind of scale that will be required. And, and, and again, this is something you got to do with partners because you can't do it all. Um, and it's something which we certainly will be continuing to do across each of those verticals, electrolyte production, VRFP manufacturing, and um, the deployments of these batteries. Our mini grid, for example, is a case in point where we partnered with third party uh, capital providers, we partnered with debt providers, and going forward, we certainly will be looking to partner with IPPs and other developers of projects as well. But, okay, but I, I want to get a little bit more specific than, than, than that. I, I hear what you're saying, um, but I want to come back to you because I think, like I say, I think one of the problems for Bushveld has been people are unable to kind of quantify or value this part of the business, right? And I, you know, I see you, you know, talking about the South African government and kind of step up to the plate and, and you've kind of described some of the things that they're going to, they're going to try and do. But I want to make, I want to understand that all of this money you spent today and maybe all of the money that, that the Bushveld energy as, as will be, um, is going somewhere. It's not a case of build it and they shall come. I want to understand what's the opportunity in front of you. So look, I think um, what I will say is that um, you're talking to a question of value and valuation, how you value this business. Um, you know, and even within the value chain that I mentioned, the different business models and therefore different valuation models, right? Electrolyte production is, is a manufacturing play, right? And you produce electrolyte, you sell, you make a margin or you produce on behalf of someone on a tolling basis and you make a tolling fee. Um, with an IPP project, it's different because you develop it and when you get to financial close, you'll make your return or you'll continue to have some exposure to that project as an equity partner. Your VRFB manufacturing, you're producing these battery systems and you're selling these battery systems. So what's important is that you're producing them at an attractive cost and you're making a good margin when you sell the batteries into projects. Uh, the rental is a different model. You know, I almost think about it as a typical real estate investment trust type of model, um, which itself has attracts a different type of investor profile. Let me say this, when, when we cover Bushford Energy, this is gonna be the job of that management team and the analysts that understand this space to present these valuation models and therefore present a view of how to value Bushford Energy. Um, so for me, I think that's where the answer is gonna come. And um, I will ask you to just be a little patient with us because it's a process that we're currently busy with. Um, but you know, I, I'll just also add one other point here, uh, Matt. Uh, you will have seen recently that uh, Mustang um, which is our partner in VRFB Holdings, which is the company through which we own our stake in um, uh, Cellcube, um, recently announced the transaction to, to acquire, um, uh, to increase its shareholding in VRFB Holdings to 49.5%, uh, right? That transaction alone has got an implied valuation in there of about $77 million for uh, for Cellcube. Um, now, we certainly think it's worth a lot more, um, but you have already some kind of a benchmark, right, that tells you um, the kind of value parameters that one can think of. Uh, we think and we believe that with the progress that the company has made and has been making, I'm talking Cellcube particularly, that it's a business that is going to be worth 
substantially north of north of that. Um, but you know, there are numbers that start to come out. But it'll be the job of the analyst to ensure that they present a concise valuation picture for our energy platform. Right, and but they they're focusing, or you, it's I get the feeling you're focused on the the, the margins possible there. I, I guess what would really help the market is to try and understand the scale of the opportunity too. So like, I'll, like you say, I hear what you're saying. I, I'll, I'll leave now, the- let me, let me just make the point. You make a very good point when you talk about scale, right? Yeah. And again, when I talk about valuation models, when, when, when you're in mining and you're in production manufacturing, we want to know how many, what's your manufacturing or production capacity looks like. How many tons are you going to be producing per annum? What is your cost? what is your margin and we take a view on prices going into the future and we'll apply a multiple on your earnings, right? And we'll come up with some valuation. Technology plays tend to be very different, right? Um, you have what you'd call say a sandbox where essentially you have a proof of concept. And when you have demonstrated that you've got a commercial solution uh, that is fundable from third parties the next question also is, what is the addressable market, right? And when you understand how big that addressable market, the extrapolation that happens is why you see technology plays, and we've seen it even in the battery space. That's why you see them enjoy valuation multiples that are substantial. Um, and those multiples are typically not multiples being applied on earnings. They're typically applied on revenue, right? It's a different way to think about how to value a business. Um, and it's appropriate for that space, right? Because that scale up that you see once you've once you've proven it can happen very quickly, um, and um, you know in a manner that is different from how you scale up a mining operation, for example. And there are reasons why I think those valuation models are appropriate for each sector. What we just want to make sure again is that the energy business is not held back by valuation metrics that apply to and mining and processing business. And we wanna make sure that you don't find yourself with capital allocation tensions that start to compromise either of the two pieces that are very important in the vertical integration strategy of the business. No, I, I, I understood. And what, but what I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a sense of, and you're saying that the analysts will work it out, but you know, energy is kind of like the technology space in the sense that the, the kind of storage mechanism is the hardware. Um, whereas the, you know, electrolytes are a bit more like the software and the, you know, software is sort of charged on, on the basis of the problem that it's solving, you know, all, all things being equal. And, yeah. you know, that's where you've kind of got the fluctuations in the current energy uh, markets in terms of, you know, and unfortunately, you know, some, some of them, some of the energy has to be pegged to something. But, um, so in, in relative terms, it bounces up and down across the day, depending on what's being used. So, you know, do you, are you going to have that sort of luxury of being able to kind of create a new charging? mechanism given you've got a kind of a primary source and you've got the process to get it get it. i mean how, how, what's the interaction between you know bushveld and uh, minerals and bushveld energy in, in that context and who gets to capture all of the value and what you know uh, which right. shareholders benefits you know what i mean so uh, yeah i see i can't see where you're coming from uh, somebody somebody once did an analysis that looked at the primary the mining industry for the lithium ion value chain and said, what is the value of this 
what is the capital value of this? And then said, as we go downstream and then I look at what is the capital value of the lithium ion battery manufacturing, right? And then said, let's go further down and say, what is the capital market value of the electric uh, vehicle manufacturing? Um, and it's interesting that the value increase, the multiplier effect along that value chain in the lithium space is in the order of magnitude of a thousand times. Now, will it be exactly the same scale with VRFPs? Not necessarily, but it's still going to be quite substantial. Um, the point I can tell you is I, we don't believe that the upstream mining and processing business needs to subsidize the downstream. Right? I think that our view is that there is a price point for vanadium that is sustainable where producers of vanadium can make very healthy margin and profit, and where VRFB industry can be very competitive. Um, and that competitiveness is further enhanced by the ability to rent the electrolyte into these battery systems, as opposed to just sell them outright. But in all our construct, we have not built it on the basis of the upstream mining and processing business subsidizing the downstream processing business. We don't think that is necessary uh, for the success of the VRFBs. Okay, and when, what, what would the relationship be between, well, <clears throat> you probably haven't nailed down the, the, the terms or any of that yet, but at, at some point you're going to work out what the relation, working relationship is between the two companies. So they're completely independent. Do you have board seats and all of that? that that's what will be interesting to me because decision-making be, could be impaired it, if it, not done right. It would have to be, it would have to be arm's length, Matt. Um, it would have to be arm's length. And, 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 and again, be very comfortable that um, you know, it is sustainable, uh, structured on an arm's length basis. What we don't want, and what the, I guess what the VRFB industry would want to avoid is a lot of fluctuations and the volatility in the vanadium price. And I think everybody understands that the levels of volatility of vanadium are not desirable for anyone on the upstream side who produces vanadium or uh, on the downstream side who are applying it in the VRFB space, as well as the users of vanadium in the steel making and the steel plants that, that, that need this for alloying purposes. So we certainly do want to get to a space where we have a vanadium price that is a lot more or a lot less volatile. And again, our view is that that price level where, where you can make margin profitably and you've got enough incentive to support the development of new mine and processing capacity that will be required, that that price level can be supportive to uh, VRFBs, um, you know, to be successful in the market. Okay, so you're constructed for the, the, the benefit of both sets of investors, but obviously you, you've got to look after number one if it's going to be arm's length. And I guess that that deal structure now and into the future as a construct, that's the, the last point of contact you're going to have potentially to make sure that you get a good long-term beneficial solution for Bushveld Minerals shareholders, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hey, look, that, that's an awesome romp through the um, the energy uh, opportunity in front of you. And, and it's done in the, it's done in the, it's interesting actually, um, and probably not through planning, but just the fact that the, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket in the last sort of uh, couple of years. But energy specifically, we've seen yesterday Glencore's Nearstar uh, plant, the, the zinc plant, uh, going to care and maintenance. 
Energy costs going through the roof. I was speaking to a uh, copper manufacturer earlier this week. They have seen their energy prices go up four times and they've had to work hard to you know, make sure that is only only reflects a sort of three times jump in value by, by, by cutting costs and finding efficiencies elsewhere. Um, that's an environment that's getting very, very difficult for an industry across this Europe I'm, I'm specifically talking about, but I'm sure everywhere else is suffering um, too, probably in South Africa as well. It, it's, it's a tough, tough environment. Um, do you, I mean, what kind of role do you think um, VRFB's got to play in that, in that context and perhaps in you know, because you, you deal with some load shedding issues down in, in South Africa, but just equalizing and level levelizing those cost pressures. That, I guess that's part of the challenge with when you look at the oil and gas industry, right? Um, the the kind of geographic concentration and how a hot, you know, something disruption happening in one part of the world, you know, creates big problems all around the world. Um, and um, if you look at what's going on with energy costs, every mining player, everyone who does processing um, and uses huge amounts of, of energy has to deal with this uh, energy uh, cost inflation. Um, I think what it does do, though, which is positive, is that it just, it just puts the spotlight on this energy transition and what it means. It's not just about decarbonization. Actually, it also is about security of supply. It is also about security of cost of energy, right? Um, because of where uh, the, uh, the cost of, of, of solar and wind generation is going. The fact that, um, you know, today, uh, both of those are very competitive relative to uh, fossil fuel based, uh, uh, you know, electricity generation. Um, stationary uh, storage is going to be, of course, an important enabler to ensure that you can actually develop, uh, you know, complete energy independence if, if that's what you want to do. <clears throat> um, so I think, if anything, this is, this is a fantastic opportunity for players in the stationary storage space. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a narrative that's um, of our time and, and something that I think you guys can take advantage of for sure. Um, look, let's, let's, we better tip our hat towards the, um, spend a lot of time on, on, the, on the energy side. Let's tip our hat towards the operational side of the business, Bushveld Minerals. Um, obviously, it's been a tough, well, couple of years, quite frankly, um, but definitely over the last 12 months. I mean, what are the, things that, ha that that you have decided that you need to focus on just to kind of keep things ticking over? I mean, if you gave yourself a review of the last 12 months, what would you say? Look, Matt, I think in terms of our um, uh, the upstream, the core of our business, um, the, the, the focus and the strategy has, has, has been the same and hasn't changed. And what, it, what is that? was always about let's make sure firstly that we consolidate a large primary vanadium resource base of high quality let's let's acquire these brownfield assets that can allow us to get into production quickly and cheaper than to do it on a green field basis and hence we acquired vermetka and vankem understanding that we'll need to spend capital in these plants to refurbish them and to get them to operate at the level that they should um, we spent that four-year period following in that four-year, so let me put it this way, between 2017 and 2021, we spent that time acquiring Vermetco. We acquired Vancom in 2019. Uh, we have 
been spending capital refurbishing uh, Van Kem, um, also uh, with increased maintenance spend at Vermetco to ensure that you know we've got a plant that is operate that operates on a on, on a stable, reliable basis, and we've done that in a period that has been also significantly disrupted. Um, of course, we know now by COVID. Um, we've also done that in an environment where, from a capital point of view, as a company, we've had to be very, very creative to ensure that we get the capital needed to support this, right? I mean, I always say that we didn't go to the market. We haven't raised a lot of money, equity capital, uh, in the equity capital markets. The last time we did a placing as a company was March 2018. Um, and, and so, you know, the... But in that time, what have we done, right? We have got two plants that by the end of this year are producing at 5,000 to 5,400 tons per annum um, that are producing at a level from a cost point of view that we think is sustainable, that we believe is sustainable and presents very good cash generation potential for the group. Um, if we did nothing more and we just focused on that level of production, further improving our cost position, we have a business that we think is very, very attractive. Um, but we also still have two kilns that are yet to be brought back into operation following refurbishment. That's the optionality that we have. We've done the feasibility studies in terms of what will be required to bring them online. And when the time is right and the markets are right and the capital is there, we're able to uh, to refurbish those and bring them in and increase our production. Um, we have had our issues around, you know, for example, the uh, <clears throat> production stability at Vermetco in early 2021. I'm very happy to say that since then, we have seen quarter-on-quarter -quarter performance at Vermetco that has been um, good. Um, and we certainly are seeing that continue going forward. At VanCam, we commissioned uh, Kiln 3, uh, you know, starting in June uh, this year, Kiln 3 is the bigger kiln, similar in scope and scale to the Vermetco kiln, which is critical to getting Van Kemp's cost base to, um, you know, um, to the kind of level that we want to see, which is comparative to Vermetco's cost base. We've had some issues in terms of how quickly we could ramp up production. We have said this to the market, very pleased to say that I think we've made great progress in terms of resolving those issues and we're comfortable that by the end of this year we will have a medical van cam operating at a level of 2600 metric tons of an IGM piano now um, when you've got that and you've got the resource space that we have you know and you manage your costs well and you bring your costs down um, you've got a fantastic operation the next level which we need to do is to then address our balance sheet, we funded this business uh, largely relying on debt capital financing in addition to the cash that we generated uh, through our operations. Um, we don't view the debt levels we have as being of an existential threat for the business, but we still have a volatile commodity. And we do think that where there are opportunities to reduce our debt um, levels, all our gearing levels, we're certainly quite keen to do that. We've got a convertible uh, loan note that matures in November 2023. Um, we are aware of that, and it is something that we will be uh, and we are paying attention to right now. So if we have a balance sheet that is 
strengthened, that is robust, combined with the asset base that I've talked about. You know, we've got we've got a business that I think we can be proud of. Just a couple of numbers, uh, Matt. Um, in the time that we have since acquired Vermetco, we have spent as a business combined about $185 million you know, between Vermetco, Vancam, and Bushford Energy. In that period, we have generated as a business combined EBITDA of about $110 million. We have put together an asset base that is a replacement value in excess of $600 million. Um, and we have a production base by the end of this year, as I said, which we believe to be sustainable uh, and uh, with very good cash generation uh, capacity. That's the platform that we have, that we have built. Um, and uh, I certainly think going forward with the commissioning of Kiln 3 behind us, um, you know, we have we have a really solid uh, vanadium platform. Okay. It- It's been a very volatile price environment for which to forecast as a company, but also for investors to get a sense of where where this growth story is going, right? And I'm glad you mentioned the um, the kind of the debt structure component because I think it feels like investors want you to stop with the growth capital, please, and just you know focus on sustaining capital. Um, you know, it's basically stop spending stop spending so much money. Allow this company a chance to breathe and prove out your model uh, going going forward because e- e- enterprise value less than well what is it about 100 less than 100 million right yep something like that right I, th- I I suspect if I did a a a fire sale on your assets I would get more money than that so you're not getting any credit for the work you've done because it's all been about growth 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 and setting yourselves up for future success so you know can we expect it, it hasn't it hasn't been it hasn't been growth, 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 right? I think, let me just clarify that. I think the acquisition of Vermetka and Vankem was critical. As, as we say, there's only four primary processing plants of vanadium in the world. We believe that in a world where vanadium demand will continue to grow, even if you look at just applications in the steel space, not to mention the step change in the energy storage space. In a world like that, where... of production comes from co-production facilities, mainly in China and Russia, the steel plants that produce vanadium slag, which at some point soon will be operating at capacity. And in our view, in any event, because they're primarily steel plants, are price inelastic as far as vanadium is concerned. In that world, we think that the opportunity lies predominantly to primary producers in terms of meeting this growing demand. And with only four existing operational primary processing facility, getting the two of those four was strategically very important for us. Having done that for VanCam, operating it with a small kiln producing 1100 MTV per annum, you're not going to achieve the cost base that you need to be competitive and to be sustainable. So getting the bigger kiln operational was incredibly important that we get that done. Now that we have that done, between Vermetka and Vancam, we have an operational base that, as I said earlier on, whose cost base can be competitive. I mean, we're not there yet, but we've got what we need to get it there, and we're working with that, which includes the volume throughput, which is going to be a significant driver of our costs, as well as other cost improvement initiatives. 
we've got that now, yes, we can talk about responsible growth and say, we don't need to rush and spend more money to get another 2,000, 3,000 tons of production into the market unless the funding is in place and the market conditions are requiring it. Um, you know, so that's, I think, the point to highlight. So from evaluation point of view, look at Bushford as a 5,000 to 5,400 producer with great optionality in terms of scaling up production if and when needed.